Last week we prayed during the service that God would bring an end to any more murder. Yet again, there was catastrophe in Southern California, not to mention however many other murders happened this last week which were not high profile. And still here we are. We haven't lost hope, I'm assuming. We are to never lose hope. I hope that's the case for each one of you here and for those who chose not to join us today in worship. The shoddy condition in the world would make even the most faith-filled person wonder, where is God? Why isn't He doing something about all this violence? I don't know if you've been noticing, but I've, I have over the last couple of years. It seems there's a growing response to tragedy from a portion of the public in which they're saying, we don't want any more prayers. We want action. Which kind of stings a little bit as a Christian to hear that. We pray for people because we have compassion. We have sympathy and empathy. But some see our prayers as shallow well-wishing that bear no results. It's understandable from their viewpoint. I mean, I can see it from their side, being a one who, much of my life, had no faith. But from our view, it's like, if only they knew, if only they knew that Jesus is the solution to the world's problems. Yes, we need political, civil solutions for trouble in our land, but we all know how that works in America. It takes a long time for some action to happen, and many times it seems it's just words on paper that don't really do anything or have any effect. Wouldn't you bet many politicians patted themselves on the back and victims and concerned citizens were relieved and felt safer when the National Firearms Act of 1934 was passed, along with the Omnibus Crime Bill of 1968? and the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, and all the little ones in between. I don't know, maybe things would be a lot worse in this country without them. I think, I hope we all agree that without Jesus Christ in the world, things would be a lot worse. Would you agree? How many more people would kill another if they didn't have God in their life and a relationship with Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. One? Two, maybe? I mean, who could even count, right? I say Jesus is the solution to the world's troubles. How about you? Uh-huh. Good. <laughs> That's one time when your uh-huh is, is genuine, right? I say it because from what I hear in the scriptures, Jesus is bigger than any politician or lawmaker or special interest group. He makes things happen. He acts. Although we should still strive for civil solutions to violence, we don't have to hide in seclusion while we wait for it because Jesus has already solved it. Look, we don't get married and have children in order to keep them prisoner at home all the time to protect them from the world. Well, you know, sometimes they might not want to leave home uh, 
sooner, sooner than we desire. But the norm is they don't go out into the world. Oh, I mean, they, they, they go out into the world to live their life, right? That's kind of the way we expect things. My son, your daughter, should have the freedom to go socialize at a bar and grill without being killed. However, since that can happen, we have the assurance that if it does, because they've been brought into the kingdom of God through faith and baptism, their life will go on. It's as tragic as it would be to lose them or lose our own lives in that way. It's not the end. Jesus put away death by the death of himself. That's how he's the solution. He was killed, not randomly shot by a deranged person. You know, his death was plotted and thought through by many people over a long period of time and was systematically carried out. Nevertheless, his death made it so that any death occurring for those who believe in him, whether it's murder, accident, sickness, or just the end of one's body's lifespan, it would not be the end. But a resurrection from death like his would result in life going on forever. Without any more chance of being murdered or contracting a disease or dying from old age ever again. Jesus doesn't suffer repeatedly for the sin of the world. He suffered once for it and dealt with sin once. And aren't we glad that we suffer once in the world? We're not going to die repeatedly in heaven and do this all over again. God the Father has made it so that His Son Jesus is the solution once and for all. He's saved us. So I hope you're eagerly awaiting for Him as the writer here in the Hebrews says. That's a good translation, eagerly awaiting. It's exactly what it says in the original language. But the root of the word for eagerly awaiting also means expecting. Are you expecting Jesus to save you? Are you expecting Jesus to make good on all the things he's promised? The streets of gold and jewels and the house with many rooms to live in, the, the best food and wine, the, the creation and all that's in it, the plants and the animals, all yours to enjoy without it being a threat anymore? I sure as heck am expecting that. I hope you are too. See, Jesus paid for all that, not me or you. Seems like it should be the other way around. We should expect everything he promises because we had to work for it. You know, we were faithful in coming to church or we suffered for it, but that's not how it works. We expect everything God promises because we can't achieve it ourselves. It's impossible for us to do that. The original hearers of this letter would have heard something like this. Christ will appear to the ones expecting salvation from him. They knew they had it. We know we have it. We expect it. We eagerly await it. And it's why we don't lose hope when people keep getting shot or abducted and disappear without a trace. More people need this hope, don't you think? 
<laughs> more people need this message from Hebrews today more than any other. More people must hear that Jesus appeared once to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself for them as well as for you and me. They may not be interested in more prayers because they don't know the person who did indeed act on their behalf. God did something. He demonstrated his love by dying and rising to life again to deal with your sin and my sin and the world's trouble of sin. Which is good news, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I'm doing my preparation for this message, every, every week, you know, I'm doing research and I'm reading this and I'm study, studying that and looking up this and I end up going down some road I didn't intend on and end up in places which don't always have a lot to do with the text. And that happened this week and I landed upon a review and a YouTube video for the book Jesus is Bigger Than Religion by Jeff Bethke. Now, this, was, you know, this book came out a couple of years ago. It's come and gone. The YouTube video is not viral anymore, and the book was a flop. But the review, the book review, by some other guy, caught my attention because I'm still hearing and reading people talk this way about Jesus. So let's have a little conversation with the reviewer. And the only reason I want to do this with you is because it might be helpful for you or someone you know that you can talk to Jesus about with. Right? Now remember, this is a book review, not the book itself. I hope it comes up. There we go. I don't know this reviewer's name, but here's what he says. Jesus may not be the picture you have always believed him to be, in fact, in America, specifically Christianity, has become rather watered down and user-friendly. Well, I think many of us can agree with that. Uh, Christianity, a great portion of it in America, has become kind of watered down and its failure to recognize sin as sin, as our Augsburg Confession points out, and to make Jesus into more of a glitzy, sort of blingy... Uh, Prosperous Jesus. After reading chapter 1, this is the book he's referring to, it will challenge your perspective on who Jesus is. Hmm. We all like a challenge, don't we? The main challenge is, are you following the person, Jesus, or the idea behind him? Oh, now that's an intriguing thought, isn't it? He says, I grew up in the church. I'm thankful for my background, but it took me 21 years to finally get the light bulb to turn on. Well, that's kind of sad, isn't it? 21 years? For so many years, I thought I was saved. I thought I was following Jesus. I wasn't. Now, that's a little, I mean, I kind of feel for this guy, missing out for 21 years. Look, you're either saved or you're not. And your salvation isn't dependent on how you feel about it or what you think about it, if you think you are or not. I mean, Jesus has paid the price. He's done it for you. So, you're saved. You believe that? Hopefully so. I'm pretty sure this guy does. 
I was following the idea behind him and was doing what every Christian should be doing. I'd like to know what that is. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't say. It's just a brief book review. I was completely fooled by how the American church presented Jesus Christ. Now that's sad. And I'd like to know what this American church is. I mean, if you're going to speak broadly like that, you better be prepared to back up what you mean by that. You know, not all churches are the same in America, right? But we think we get what he's saying. At least this was from his experience. Once I began to realize the packaged Christianity I grew up with didn't tell the whole story, I began to see this dangerous Jesus everywhere in Scripture. Now, if any of you think that St. Paul Lutheran Church is packaged Christianity, you better let me know, because I don't want it to be like that. And if you think that that's what it's like or that's what it's for you to you, let me know, because I'd like to fix it if it needs fixing. And this dangerous Jesus, well, I get what he's saying. When you start learning more about Jesus, you realize there's a lot more to him than just what a friend we have in Jesus, right? I mean, he's not always a nice guy. And he says some things that confront us with ourselves and who we are and our, the way we look at the world. You want to know how I met God? Yeah, dude, tell us. It wasn't through a book. Ugh. I hope he doesn't mean the Bible. A sermon? Well, <laughs> we can, you know, for every 5,000 sermons, lousy ones, there's a, there's a good one, right? <laughs> so we know what he's talking about there. Or great worship music experience. It was through God himself, revealing himself to me and me listening. It's good. You should listen to God. It wasn't by means of human effort or a well-organized evangelistic outreach. God of the universe reached out to me. It was him, just man to man. I heard his voice, and from that point, I followed him. Life has never been the same. I trust that, meaning it's never been the same, that it's better for him. And uh, I'd like to know how God spoke to him. Hopefully, it was through his word, either reading it himself or hearing it from someone else. If you read this book, you will be faced with your perception of Jesus. Which Jesus do you follow? Mm. Good question. Which Jesus do you follow? Which Jesus do we follow together as the church? Let's follow the one revealed here in the Hebrews, shall we? Let's follow the man who hasn't limited himself to heaven or copies of it made by man, which was the tabernacle I showed you a couple of weeks ago, but is here, now, among us, who has sent his spirit to live in us, changing us to live more like follow followers of him and not just for ourselves, and certainly not to bring harm to others, but to work for the good of others. We follow Jesus who doesn't have to continually be nailed to the cross over and over on account of our sin, but who's shed his blood once for all to put away sin by his sacrifice. We follow Jesus, who is the solution to sin and death, 
which are the world's number one problem. Let's follow him and eagerly await and expect his return any day. Amen.